0: Now, on this Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: I had a question about the stock L'Oreal, L-R-L-C. And
0: provides unbiased answers.
2: What I like is it's geographical reach, broad, broad diversification.
0: Talk, over 29 million downloads and counting.
1: Hey guys, first time caller, new listener, love the podcast. What are your thoughts on dividend funds for long-term?
0: Call anytime, 24-7. 888-99-SHARK.
3: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: good afternoon fellow investors and welcome to invest talk this is our thursday february 4th 2021 edition of invest talk i welcome you all this hour and i'm going to do my best to this show fruitful for you and the way that i do that is through our mission of independent thinking and shared success so uh, i'm going to bring you market commentary process explanations, educational segments, stock commentary. This will be done with my knowledge that I've accumulated over the last couple of decades, as well as the data I have in front of it myself that will help guide me into helping you understand where I'm coming from, right? Because uh, it's not just the qualitative analysis, which that's a lot of experience, right? Understanding Uh, how markets work, asset classes work, uh, companies work, et et cetera, but also bringing good data and data that's useful. And that's what we are here to help you do and just give you the facts. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and, of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. You get to shape the show to your liking if you do call. So you can call and interact with us right now during our live stream program that airs every day, four to five Pacific time. It also airs as a, as a radio show in the Bay Area as well. Or you can leave a question anytime in our Invest Talk voice bank. And that number never changes. 88899 chart. So let's get right to our first caller question now.
1: Hi, Stephen, Justin. I've been listening to you guys for about three years, and I absolutely love all the information you provide. I had a question about the stock L'Oreal, L-R-L-C-Y. I'm in the beauty industry, so I'm very familiar with this company, and I have been looking for a place to get in this year, hoping that it would pull back, and it looks like it has a little bit. I'm just wondering what your evaluation is of it and at what price point you would pick it up. Thank you for all your advice and all the information you share to all of us every day. Have a good rest of your day. Bye.
2: All right, great question. This is L'Oreal and this company is headquartered in France and let's take a look at their business overall. He, she's right. They are in the industry. About thirty-five percent of the revenue comes from skincare, twenty-six percent makeup, twenty-five percent hair care, and nine percent fragrance. Twenty-eight percent of its revenue is in Western Europe, twenty-five percent here in North America, forty-seven percent in emerging markets, and let's see that broken up: Pacific Asia Pacifics thirty-two, uh, et cetera. So. What I like is it's geographical reach, broad, broad diversification, and you're actually getting here exposure to foreign currencies, right, because the vast majority of their revenues come outside of the U.S. and and outside of uh, the dollar. So if the dollar does climb, that's going to be a nice tailwind to earnings and profits uh, in dollar terms. Now, certainly, their business has been upended. Uh, because of COVID to some degree, right? With uh, salons shutting down and so many places where you go and buy skincare products, hair care products, et cetera. But despite that, they still actually were able to grow earnings in 2020. So that was pretty interesting. Now it's a $200 billion market cap company and its trailing 12 a month free cash flow is about $4.3 billion. 2019, it was $5 billion. So, you know, free cash flow did get hit a bit. Over the last uh, 12 months, but that should turn around, right? That's uh, post you know, during a COVID. We're going to be we're going to be closer to the end of this pandemic today than we are to the beginning, so that's good. And historically, this is a name whose return in equity has averaged over the last decade about 15, 16 percent, and that's very attractive. Modest amount of debt. I like that. Return on assets have hovered around that 10 percent level as well. So I like that. so there's a lot about this company that I do like, right So free cash flow per share though is dollar 69 in 2019, but it is a 200 dollars oh, sorry, 71 dollar stock. Uh, so it's not exactly cheap. I'll say that, but it is a solid company. It is a very solid company and I would say that it has had a recent pullback. Let me look at the chart real quick. Yeah, it's pulled back to its 100-day moving average, which it's shown support at over the past year. And so this is a good buying opportunity from a technical perspective, but it still is a little rich in valuation. And so that, for that reason, I don't love it, but I kind of like it. Now, as the program of podcasts moves along today, I know you want strategies to help deal with the market volatility and the uncertainty that presents itself here in 2021. So I'm here ready to take your calls at 888 chart Now let's check in on the market today. S&P up 41 points closed, right at an all-time high, just above it. Uh, we've retraced the recent market pullback and technically we remain relatively strong, right? We had good economic data, and uh, but we still see what was interesting today. We still see a rollover of the growth versus value trade over the last couple of days. You had a, a, a rally in gro- the growth stocks from mid-January into basically Thursday, or sorry, what's today? say Thursday? Uh, so this was Tuesday, yeah, into Tuesday of, last, of this week. And the last couple of days, you've seen a big reversal. So uh, I'm seeing some weakness uh, in that. The 10-year ticking higher. We're kind of marching higher here. It looks like the 10-year wants to get to that 1.4 level. Uh, If you've watched my YouTube videos analysis every Friday, you'll see kind of the charts that uh, I've been posting and uh, discussing. Uh, We're likely to be up there. Now, how will that impact the market? At what level does that kind of break things? Uh, And that's the history of uh, where uh, Fed policy and interest rates have gone, right? Where... They they allow rates to rise either through policy action or through natural markets floating higher, and that's what you're seeing here with so much supply of treasuries coming on and not quite enough QE to stop it all up, and so rates are marching higher. And I think they're okay. The Fed is okay with allowing rates to kind of float a little bit up, uh, as long as it doesn't break the market and as long as it's a slow march. I don't think it will until you get to some sort of mitigating level to cost of capital where the borrowing rate for corporations and just across the economy becomes too high, right? If mortgage rates start to break out to three and a half, four percent 4% to kind of, from where they're at now of about 3%, that might start to be an issue for the economy. But so far, we're not there yet. Um, but, Pretty interesting, wild market that we're seeing, and technically, we remain relatively strong. Now, you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we're into February of the new year, and a lot of people probably couldn't wait until 2020 was over. Tough time, but with all the changes we see happening, it's important to remember that during periods of market uncertainty, the task of building your financial freedom must always continue not afford to backslide. So that's what we are here to help you do, to reach your goal of personal financial freedom. And you need good information and effective strategies. And we should talk about whatever is on your mind. So we're taking your calls live at eight 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 ninety nine 99
0: Invest talk is made possible by KPP Financial where InvestTalk hosts and KPP principals, Steve Feasley and Justin Klein, practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART.
2: Now, we love recorder caller questions and, of course, our live calls, which we're going to go to one now. Cherie in Dallas looking at Qualcomm.
3: Hi, hi, Justin. Thank you for the wonderful show. And I'm trying to no uh, now that it has come down. I want to know if this is a good time to buy. I just want to know your thoughts
2: on it. Well, that. it was down pretty sizably today, about almost 9% on the day, $14 to $147.97 at the close. And I believe that was earnings. Yeah. So their earnings are were out and it was more about the guidance, which was not as bullish as the market had been hoping. And so that's why you saw this drop right their earnings itself were good uh, revenue up 62% earnings up 119% and you would say well that's a great quarter and that's certainly true but a lot of that was priced in with a move from 58 which is its 52 week low all the way to 167 spot 94 it's 52 week high so a lot of that optimism around that was uh, built in and that's so this is exactly what you see where a company's reports earnings that look Good on the surface, but their expectations for the future year or future quarters are not quite up to the snuff of the overall market uh, expectations. And so that's why you've seen this drop. Now, we have a value somewhere closer to $120 a share, which is about where the uh, 200-day moving average is. is, And that's the area that I would be targeting for a potential pullback for an entry uh, because I think you're going to start that here. Technically, it's rolled over after this move today. Typically, it takes three days as well for the market to fully digest the news. And so that's what I'd be looking for is how bearish the next couple days are. You know, if we break the 140 level, I think we're definitely going down to around the 125. So that's an area that I would be looking for it for a longer term uh, purchase to be around the 125 level. That would be a target for me to pick it up, but uh, not quite yet. Be a little patient. Be a little patient. Thanks for the call, Shuri. Now, my focus point today concerns the story, service industries in the U.S. expanded by the most in nearly two years, and that was the great headline news in the markets today and the underlying economy. And so I'm going to unpack what that looked like and where the pros came from and where the cons came from as well, because uh, all these economic reports have pros and cons that are deeper than just the headlines, right? The headlines are the headlines, and it's easy to look at those and think you understood the picture. But if you dig in, you'll oftentimes get a mixed bag. And that was certainly the case here, but also was better than expected. So we're going to look at the 14 service industries that reported growth during the month and which ones those were. So I'll drill down on those numbers. Also, fiscal support. Let's talk a little bit about what is proposed in Congress right now that they're batting around, right? President Biden is trying to get through some checks that, uh, or a stimulus package that's about 1.9 trillion. How does that compare to the stimulus from last year? And would it be prudent in this environment to do something that large? Or would bipartisan bill make more sense? Uh, what would the, the pros and cons be of each? So I'm going to look at that. Next, the GameStop mania uh, last week really put the spotlight on online brokers and where they're making money, right? And so we're going to unpack that and show you which brokers are making the most in relation to their assets in when it comes to uh, making money on trades, right? Order flow, for example. And then lastly, what will regulators do? What will regulators do after the GameStop fiasco? We're going to look at what maybe uh, rules they might put in uh, to prevent this in the future. Now you're listening to Stock, I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. And naturally, you will have finance and investment questions. And that's why we're here, is to answer them for you. So, I encourage you to give us a call, be a participant, and that is very vital to this show. So, we're taking your calls live at 888-99-SHARP.
0: It's a new year, and building your financial future takes information and commitment. So you'll have finance and investment questions for Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. Call Invest talk, 888-99-CHART.
2: Let's head, o- head over to Moreno Valley and talk with Charles. He's looking at Telefonica. Yes, sir. Okay. Justin, you own you it like, you're would you like looking to, buy to it? know
0: your opinion?
2: Are you looking to buy it or do you own it?
0: Uh, I'm looking to buy. I am concerned about the amount of debt they have.
2: Yeah, well, this is a $24 billion market cap, and they do have about $100 billion uh, in liabilities, so they do have some exposure on on that front, but they also have a fairly consistent business, right? Their free cash flow is consistent, and they even during a downturn, uh, they haven't really had... Uh, a big drop in, in profitability. And so I, while well, I think the dividend is likely to potentially go down, right It has actually fallen uh, in never uh, pays it in euros, so it fluctuates a little bit each year. but they may they were paying 90 cents a share in 2015 and now it's down to about 39 cents a share.
3: Oh my. So
2: don't expect that dividend to increase. Anytime soon, because of that debt, they, they look like they're trying to pay down uh, that debt more than they're trying to increase that dividend. But I don't think they're also going to cut it. It's pretty much been flat uh, since 2017. So I think the dividend is going to be there. Uh, I think it's going to take some time to pay down that debt. Uh, but I like their cash flows. I like their cash flows. To me, this is a non- a great cheap foreign dividend payer that probably won't grow its dividend. It's going to be focused on repairing or improving its balance sheet. Let's just say that. So if you're okay with that dividend, you're okay with it not increasing. uh, I I like the name. Technically, it's hit a a massive low uh, back in, let's see, when was that? It was in November, right? It was record low, uh, about $3.23 And now we're at $4.54. So it's had a nice rally, but you're starting to see the technicals improve dramatically. So I like it. Uh, Just don't expect that dividend to go up anytime soon. Thanks for the call, Charles. Now, my focus point today concerns the story service industries in the U.S. expand by the most in nearly two years, and 14 service industries reported growth during the month. The top five were led by real estate, so, real estate activity in the month of January was relatively strong. Rental and leasing, construction. So, that's not a shock. Shock that construction is doing well in an environment where inventories are low. Right? There's not a lot of foreclosures because of the foreclosure moratorium, moratorium, and a lot of people just don't want to move, especially during a pandemic. And so uh, construction industry has done fairly well. Wholesale trade also was up, so replenishing the uh, the inventories uh, in the economy that have run fairly low. Uh, so that's done well. So the service industry as a whole came in better ex- than expected. The index rose to 58.7, so anything above 50 is growth. In December, it was slightly lower, by 1 point lower, 57.7. What was interesting is that Analysts, economists expected a decline of about one point to 56.7, which was a little curious to me because most of the service side of the economy has been depressed since COVID. And a lot of the reasons because of the shutdowns and limitations around services, right? Hotel and leisure and hospitality, which includes hotels, that expanded the most in 11 months in January. And that should not be a shock. Why? Because December was uh, a month where there was a lot of shutdowns uh, because COVID cases were surging. And January ended on a note where cases were dropping and uh, restrictions were being eased, especially on restaurants across the country. And so it was curious to me that economists got this so wrong. It was, to me, it was pretty obvious that there was going to be at least an uptick of some kind in the supply index, uh, the, the services index, excuse me. Because of those factors, uh, but they kind of missed it. Now, the new orders uh, at service companies rose to 61.8. That's the strongest level since July. I remember, July was kind of when uh, the first lockdowns started to ease and you had the big jump. And the backlogs for new orders also picked up. So it was very interesting. The negatives were that import prices rose. And companies were restocking inventories in a big way because just supply chains are remain disrupted to some degree, obviously it varies depending on the industry and export demand though that contracted at the fastest pace since May, so that was probably the biggest negative was that export demand, even though the dollar was weak, you would think weak dollar should drive exports it hadn't it didn't really. And what, what's the reason for that? Maybe that has to do with lockdowns uh, in Europe. That's probably a big factor. Uh, but very interesting report, Better than expected, but I think the expectations were off. Doesn't make sense why they were be, they were so sour. Now we're heading into a break. So quick, Chris from Washington State. Hang on. We'll get to your question next at 88899 chart.
3: is a good time to call invest talk do we have a disadvantage as investors on the west coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action they're right there in new york and what's your question 888-99-CHART is how to reach
4: justin right now on invest talk ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential
0: Markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
2: Let's head over to Chris in Washington State. He's looking at Orbital Energy Group. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Um, Yeah, I have a small position in it right now, and it was kind of an impulse buy because, you know, looking at the energy
3: and solar power, um, it's up Mm -hmm. about, I'd say, 120%. I was wondering if it'd be a long-term hold or if I should just get rid of it before it tanks because I don't know if they're making much money.
2: Yeah, well, the history of this company is that they don't make money right they haven't made money since 2014 they've lost money every year since and pretty much every quarter since now this stock has taken off because they it looks like they were part of a team that looks like are going to decommission some coal f- power plants and turn them into solar energy farms, and, you know, they're in the green space. Now, I don't know how much revenue they're actually going to get from this partnership. I think that's the big question. Trailing 12 months, they did $13 in in revenue, and they're certainly growing their revenue nicely, uh, but it's not translating into profits. The two things that make me weary about this are the fact that they cannot wait to sell shares. So they've done it twice now. The end of last year, December 31st, they sold kind of a private placement deal for $1.80 per share of 5.5 million shares. So they raised about $10 million there. And now they just filed a shelf offering up to $150 million in securities. So they're trying to sell a mix of both common shares, preferred shares, debt securities, warrants, etc., and they're trying to cash in on this rise in the stock price. So if they were so bullish about their prospects and thought that their business was just going to take off to the stratosphere and their profits were going to take off to the stratosphere, uh, I don't think they'd be raising that much money. right? Their market cap's only $277 million. So they're trying to increase their market cap by somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% just by issuing more shares. So you're going to dilute shareholders by 50% at these prices. And that's what gives me the big red flag, that they don't have a history of making money. And although they have one nice partnership, they're eager to sell shares on any rally. And that's a big red flag for me. So I would be taking, at bare minimum, Bare minimum, your initial investment off the table, and having uh, a probably 15% trailing stop on this name. Thanks for the call, Chris. 99 888-99 chart, 889924278. That was Orbit Energy Group. O-E-R-S. Oh, sorry, O E G is the symbol. Now, let's touch on fiscal spending, and we have said this before many, many times that. Fiscal policy is now driving the economy. Clearly, politicians are no longer interested in fiscal responsibility. And you could say, and I'm not saying this is one side or the other. It's just bipartisan now. It's just how do they want to spend it, right? Uh, They want to spend it on tax cuts, uh, military spending, which is probably uh, what the right want to spend it on more than anything. And the left wants to send checks to people, right? And there's certainly a balance, balancing act that, uh, needs to be, needs to be walked in order to avoid crippling inflation and also avoid social unrest, right? There's a lot of people that are kind of fed up with the system and you've seen that with the the summer riots and, and marches, uh, and also the march on the White House. right? So there's various aspects, both up and down the country, that are creating problems uh, from a social perspective. And fiscal spending, if done well, will boost the overall productivity and growth of the economy, while also addressing some Social issues, right? Social unrest that could potentially be brewing uh, in the economy as well, or in the in the country. Now, last year, Congress spent about four trillion dollars fighting the COVID crisis, and the current proposal is one point nine trillion, so about half of what was spent last year. Now, Republicans want to spend about six hundred billion. That's their counterproposal to President Biden, and the big question is, should President Biden try to come to some agreement, some are maybe in the neighborhood of 900 billion billion dollars, something like that, or fight for and go through budget reconciliation, do the 1.9 trillion, and not really care what the other side thinks? Now, the risk of doing that is saying, is stoking inflation and not having the ability to pass infrastructure spending? because it would further stoke the inflation flames. So, remember, 20% of income last year for Americans came from government transfer payments, unemployment, checks, PPP, etc. So, stimulus is was high last year, and in order to keep the economy kind of moving, you're going to have to have some stimulus this year. It's just what is the right amount, I think is the big question. So, Universal handouts versus state aid, all of these things need to be weighed and how much it will spark inflation and maybe limit further uh, political capital that could be used down the line on different types of infrastructure spending. I think that's a big question with this fiscal aid. Now Let's go to Larry in New Jersey looking at Procter & Gamble. Uh, yeah, hi, Justin. How's it going? Um,
0: so I got into Procter & Gamble... Uh and I guess it was it was sometime last
1: year. It was it was in the, in the like the low one ten area and I wanted to to kind of go in again and, and buy more, but it, it just hasn't kind of went back to those levels. So I wasn't
2: sure kind of what would be that next, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to increase your position um if there's a good number to maybe target. Well our value on Procter Gamble is somewhere around that one ten level. Now it's underperformed basically since November. It had a big reversal candle on November 9th and now it's, and that was starting at $145 a share and now we're at $129. So modest pullback here from its 52 week high, uh, down about 12%. And we're below the 200 day moving average. On a weekly chart, we are, let's see. Right at the 50 week moving average. So that's certainly going to be support, but this looks like it wants to at least go to about the 122 level, technically. Uh, and the reason it's underperformed is because it's in part of the market that doesn't tend to do very well when two things are happening. When interest rates are rising, right? It is kind of a bond proxy in a lot of ways, right? Because Procter & Gamble's dividend is Fairly safe, fairly consistent. Yields about 2.5% now. So when interest rates rise, that can be a headwind to the consumer staples space, and it's pretty much the biggest holding in this consumer staples uh, sector. And then you have a weaker dollar. Now that can do can help it if it is uh, diversified internationally, which it is. But your Money flow is going into kind of the bigger cyclical names. And so that's been dragging down uh, Procter & Gamble. So our value is around that 110 level, which should be closer to where it was in the lows in March. So I think it's a little overvalued for a company that's not going to grow very much. But long term, it's a good company. Its cash flows are going to be consistent. It's going to pay that dividend. It's probably going to raise it modestly each year. So if you're looking as a long term hold, and you're going to get decent returns with not a ton of volatility. Procter & Gamble, it's hard to argue against it. Um, but a fair value is closer to that 110 level. Now let's keep the pace moving along. Go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Callers invest their time leaving a question, and Steve and I promise to provide unbiased answers. This came in earlier at 888.99 Chart. Hi, guys. Big fan of the show. I just wanted to get your opinion on uranium mining ETS. You are. N M. Thank you and have a good day. All right, it's looking at URNM, and this is the North Shore Global Uranium Mining ETF. And let me see, is this holding underlying shares or the uranium miners? Yeah, it looks like the miners. The top, it's very concentrated. The top holding is... National Atomic Company, GASM, chronic, I don't even know how to say it, but I believe they're in Kazakhstan is where a lot of uranium is mined, 15%. Cameco, which is in Canada, the largest uranium miner in the world, 137 Uranium Participation Corp, about 10%. So you're very focused on those. Uh, and I like this. I think the uranium space is a good place to invest in. I think there's going to be a turn. Uh, if you're lo- talking about green energy, getting off of fossil fuels, right? That's what the climate scientists are saying, that that's what we need to do. And whether we get countries on board or not, the countries that do get on board, if they're looking at it fairly, you know that you can't be 100% green anytime soon, right? You can't live off of solar panels and wind farms and hydroelectric power, there's just way too many people, way too high of electric demand in order to keep up with the country, especially a developed country like the U S. And so while we've had some disasters, right? Fukushima, uh, and, and the other, um, Chernobyl, right? So we've had a few disasters, but overall, if you look at all of the nuclear power plants around the world, they're fairly safe. They're very safe. Uh, and even the disasters, yeah, it's bad for that region, but it's very, very small. Uh, and China is building a lot of these nuclear reactors. And so the demand for uranium, to me, is increasing. Prices still remain near record lows, but are now trending higher. And so I like the uranium space. It's, to me, a great place to invest. And this is a good way to get broad diversification. Now, I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. In January, our Invest Talk downloads surpassed 917,000, which is a record for us. And uh, I think we're going to hit a million next month. And that brings our total downloads uh, over the course of the program to more than 29 million. So we're going to hit the 30 million mark this month. So we appreciate all of our listeners, both here in the U.S. as well as around the world, whether you're in Canada, Germany, China, Switzerland, Japan, or any other country that's out there. We love you all. We appreciate it. And in the past year alone, we've had over 234,000 downloads from a place like the UK alone. And this may surprise you that we also have Invest Talk downloads from Saudi Arabia, Russia, Thailand, and Korea. So Stephen, I thank you for downloading InvestTalk and telling your friends and family members about our free Investing and Finance podcast. Please keep the calls, questions, and emails coming in. We love them all and we appreciate it. And of course, you're welcome to call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We would love to help you. But for now, our phone lines are open at 888 99Chart.
0: Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. Hi, guys.
4: Lee from North Carolina here. I had a question about Stitch Fix, ticker
0: SFIX. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. Hey Justin and Steve,
2: this is Phil in Washington, D.C. Love you guys. I've learned so much.
0: Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24-7, in the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thank you. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. First-time caller, new listener, love the podcast. Got two questions
1: here, kind of unrelated, both for IRA. One, what are your thoughts on dividend funds for long-term? Two, what are your thoughts on the cannabis industry, specifically, AthRIA, APHA, and True Leave? ECNNF. Both seem to have pretty good balance sheets. Growth looks good. I know there's a lot of legislation to decriminalize or legalize cannabis in many states. So I'm wondering what your perspective on both of those are. And I know they're both different sizes, but uh, I'm interested in both. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Bye.
2: All right. Looking at dividend funds, I will say They're not all treated equal, some are better than others, Uh, but I do tend to like companies that pay dividends and thus dividend-focused funds, uh, especially dividend growth funds, I think are the best type of, kind of set and forget it, type of equity exposure investments over the long term because they're gonna be invested in and focused in companies that uh, earn profits, earn cash flow, and thus pay dividends. And so I like that. Now you're looking at Afria and TrueLeave. And we like Trueleaf. I, I think that's definitely better. One of the big reasons is because it's domiciled here uh, in the U.S., and I think that's where the biggest upside for the the investments is is to is here in the U.S. Because Canada has legalized it already, so there's not really uh, that much upside in my mind to those type of investments. And uh, I think once these Domestic cannabis names are put onto our exchanges. I think you're going to see a bump up there. Now, which one is the best? Uh, I think True Leaf is up. True Leaf is up there. I don't know if it's the best in the country, um, but uh, certainly one that we're more positive on than the negative. So, uh, I like True Leaf overall. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, get your questions in now at 888 99 Chart.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions.
1: 888-99-CHART. Hello, Mr. Steve and Mr. Justin. This is Jeff from Alabama. I'd like to get your opinion on VNQ, Vanguard Real Estate ETF. Thanks very much.
2: This is VNQ, the Vanguard Real Estate ETF, and this is a solid way to get broad diversification in the REIT space. Your Getting a lot of different names. Let's see, 176 equity holdings. About 46% of the total assets are in the top 10 holdings. You're looking at American Tower is the top holding, which is a company that leases out cell phone tower space uh, in uh, in, in that industry. So uh, not huge yield on that company. But overall, the ETF is yielding about 4%. It's okay. It's not the best exposure to REITs out there. It's not the worst. Uh, it's about average within the space, uh, pretty low cost, expense ratio 0.12%. And so if you're just trying to get broad diversification, you could definitely do worse, probably do a little better either uh, as well. Let's go to James or Jamie, excuse me, in Palo Alto looking at British Petroleum.
0: Uh, yes, Justin, I was trying to get your opinion uh, actually on BP uh, at the moment, I got it at about twenty two dollars and over the last few days has gone down or probably the last month um, and I just wanted to get your opinion see uh, I know you guys are recommending the energy sector, mm-hmm. so is this something that I maybe I should take the opportunity and buy more shares, or do you think I should look for another um, another company?
2: Yeah, I would look for another company. I don't think BP has uh, a lot of future in the in the oil space, uh, and it's not really starting to move a lot like the oil space either, right? It's actually broken down. If you do a ratio between BP and XLE, the uh, energy ETF, it's at now a 52-week low because energy has started to do better than than BP. Uh, they're divesting assets. They're investing, I believe, in green energy. And so this really isn't a great oil play, to be honest with you. And so I think you can do much, much better in another name. Revenues down 33% year over year, earnings down 96%. So they have a stretched balance sheet. Obviously, they have the issues, legacy issues with uh, Deepwater Horizon. And this would be pretty low on my list of. Fuel oil names that I would be investing in. So I would be selling it, taking your loss, and reinvesting in the companies that are doing better and have a better balance sheet and a better path for growth. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks for the call. Now let's lastly touch on GameStop and what could potentially come down the pipe for from regulators. Excuse me. Now. Many brokerage firms and trading firms say it is misunderstood and that the selling for order flow business model is actually good for traders and execution. Now, I said this on the Monday show, but maybe you hadn't listened to it, but the history of sale for order flow goes all the way back to the early 90s and actually Bernie Madoff was the pioneer. Remember, Bernie Madoff, he didn't just have a multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme. He actually had a legitimate business on the other side, right? He worked for the NASDAQ. I think he was the president of NASDAQ, if I remember correctly. And he was one of the early practitioners with Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities. Now, Robinhood agreed to pay $65 million to settle an SEC allegations that it misled its customers about its reliance on these payments for order flow and touting that its execution quality while filling orders at inferior prices, basically saying, hey, you're getting great execution, when in reality, they were not. And so the SEC has reviewed this many times since the early 90s, and they continue to condone the practices. There's a lot of lobbyists that are in there making sure that this isn't banned, Uh, now this has allowed a lot of new traders to get in, uh, not have a lot of friction with trading, zero commissions on small dollar amounts, that definitely helps the little trader overall. But it also makes it easier to make mistakes and you obviously take more risk. And so Robinhood, despite them being relatively young, is the second largest seller of payment for order flow. And they don't have a lot of the revenue otherwise. So I encourage all of you, Move away, Robin Hood. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. CPZ and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and InvestTalk.com. Be sure to rate and review.